Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. And welcome to episode 600 of Civil War Talk Radio. Who would have thought that 19 years ago a juggernaut was being launched, that a podcast was being created even before the word podcast had been coined? One person who helped make that happen, who hosted one of the early shows before I became host and who helped get me involved in the project, is going to be our guest tonight. He's the author of more than 40 books on the subject of Abraham Lincoln, the Civil War, or both. His name is Harold Holzer, and he'll be with us on Civil War Talk Radio. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight, as most of the past 600 nights we've done this, from the office on the third floor of the Brewster Building. Not the same office for 19 years, but the last several, uh, here on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, where it's a beautiful spring evening, April 19th of 2023. And as much as I'm enjoying sitting in this office and keeping a weather eye out on how the ECU baseball team is doing tonight, I am not speaking for ECU. I am not representing anyone but myself. And likewise, my guest only speaks for himself, as we always do here. Well, the baseball team is up to number seven nationally. That is our one really good sport. And they uh, had a great week last week, swept Cincinnati. They they got the mercy rule in two games. It's like watching little kids baseball. You're winning by too many runs. They just sent everybody home. And ECU did that twice. Um, It's a pleasure to watch them play because it's such good, sound, fundamental baseball. They don't make a ton of mistakes. As I tell my wife, at least three or four times during every game, defense doesn't win games. It just prevents you from losing them. And the other teams, they they lose games with bad defense, and the Pirates don't. Uh, 
But we're not here to talk baseball. Uh, looking out my window here in the Brewster building, I am observing the remnants of the early college high school festivities earlier today. A couple of years ago, ECU started an early college high school, and they have these 16- and 17-year-olds on campus. They picked one wing of the Brewster building to do this in. I can see it across the courtyard. And now every day at 3.30 or so, all these kids come pouring out in the courtyard. They kick a ball around, or they dance, and they talk, and they I guess it's like recess. Today they were uh, throwing whipped cream pies at I, what I assume were faculty members uh, in some kind of event. I'm not sure what to think of all this. Normally, the sound of, of the, the happy laughter of children, you know, I find highly irritating uh, as a sound. But I guess I'm willing to make an exception for this. They seem to be, be doing okay out there. Uh, in Civil War news, which is what we're here for, uh, breaking news, this literally came in just an hour ago. Uh, Elizabeth Leonard, friend of the show, who is here to talk about her biography of Benjamin Butler not too many months ago uh, has just won the 2023 John now the third center for Civil War history uh, the book prize that they give there at UVA uh, uh, she was a finalist for the Lincoln Prize the Gilder Lehrman Lincoln Prize now she's won this and her book was my choice as the best book of the past year for in the Civil War Monitor article. So uh, I'm not alone in thinking it was it was really an outstanding book. I hope you've had a chance to read it. Uh, and if you haven't, go back and listen to her, listen to his talk, and and then uh, read that book. It's really good. The another friend of the show, Donna McCreary. Uh, was showed up the other day in the form of a book review of her. Her, her question and answer format book on Mary Lincoln, which was modeled after my question and answer format book on Abraham Lincoln. And I was asked to write a review of it for the journal of the Abraham Lincoln Association. So I wrote my review in a question and answer format, thinking that was the appropriate thing to do. And that just showed up in the mail the other day. So if you want to, uh, if you're not a member of the Abraham Lincoln Association, you, you should be. Uh, sign up and, and you'll get a copy of that journal. Another thing that crossed the uh, the screen, the email screen, uh, with a request that I share it with everybody, and this was sent to the, the Civil War Talk radio site, is an announcement of a, the Manassas, uh, what tiny, tiny print here, Manassas Battlefield Trust. It says, help us get this cannon back to Manassas Battlefield. There's a, a, a 10-pounder parrot rifle. They say it's identified with the battlefield. They want to get it back to the battlefield. And they urge me to tell everyone I know. And that's all of you. So I'm telling you. But I'm telling them they have to step up their social media game because it doesn't say there's no website. There's a phone number as if this were still the 20th century. Uh, there's an email address. I guess you can write and ask them what's up. But how it doesn't say where the cannon is are they trying to buy it are they trying to borrow it are they arranging a kidnapping plot uh it it says we can become major donors i'm not sure i'm ready to donate to this project until i know more about it looks legit but uh I'll, we'll see if we can find out more what is legit is 
the uh, the shows that are coming up in the next few weeks. Next week, Jessica Zapparo will be here to talk about women entering the federal workforce during the Civil War. Uh, it's a book called This Grand Experiment. And on May 3rd, we'll have John Avlon here, his uh, talked about new book, Lincoln and the Fight for Peace. And then on the 10th, a very much talked about book, uh, Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause. Ty Sedgley wrote the book. He's been interviewed many places. You've seen his Prager you piece on YouTube, hopefully. Look it up if you haven't. It'll be interesting to talk to him. And then we'll take a week off and go to this hallowed ground with uh, with the Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours folks and uh, no live show on the 17th. And when we come back, Julie Holcomb will be our guest. She has a book called Exploring the American Civil War Through 50 Historic Treasures. We'll find out what those are. So lots going on. Uh, last thing to say before we talk to our guest tonight is this is show number 600. Uh, thank you to everybody who has listened over the years. Uh, thank you to those of you who donated to the show. When you go to www.impedimentsofwar.org, uh, you can click the PayPal button there and donate. You may have refrained from doing so because each week you think, well, I could do it, but if I do it this week, that's a sort of confession that I could have done it last week but didn't, and that makes me a bad person. So if I just pretend it's not there and never do it, I'll, I'll be okay. The good news is now that it's show number 600, you can honestly say, well, I didn't do it yet because there's no special reason. But now there is. Donate today. Click the button. Send me as much money as you wish. Become a recurring donor. And then you don't have to do it again for 600 more shows. 19 years from now, I think how old we'll all be. Uh, but you'll be free and clear. So do it once. This would be the night to do it. As you're listening to this show in the weeks ahead, show number 600, uh, quick credit to uh, alert listener and longtime friend of the show, Frank, who is, uh, of course, corresponded with many times, points out that if you're not careful, PayPal will try to get you to open a PayPal account when you donate. You don't need to do that. There's a little slider button you can click, and then it makes the, uh, the sign-up sheet go away, and you can just donate money without joining. So... Uh, be aware of that. And finally, of course, in celebration of tax day, don't deduct your donations. This is just a scam on my part. It just goes straight to the Civil War Book and Bourbon Fund. Uh, there's no no do-gooderism in it. You don't get to deduct it. I'm not a charity. Uh, it's just a way of showing that you're part of the Civil War talk radio community. And a major part of that community is our guest tonight. Harold Holzer has a biography longer than my arm uh, of awards he has won, of books he has written, of accomplishments uh, uh, over the years. You can go online and read it if you have half an hour uh, to kill. But I've known Harold since I started working in the Lincoln Field at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the late lamented museum. And uh, it, it He's been on the show multiple times, and it's always good to have him back. Uh, Harold, are you there? I am. I'm hypnotized by your beautiful radio voice, which has just gotten more elegant um, <laughs> with every passing score of shows. So 
great to talk to you on air. Well, you have YouTube. me on every four or five hundred shows, and it's great. That's about it. That's what I figure the time is ripe to, to bring you back. Well, it has been such a long time. Let me start by asking, how how's the family? How's Edith doing? How are the girls? So, um, Edith is fine, thank you. She broke her arm in New York City, tripping oh. over a plate in the street near my school, Hunter College, so there's no one to litigate against, sadly. Um, and... Uh, the girls are fine, and their sons are fine. My my uh, 15-year-old grandson is a podcast veteran. He's got 150 shows under his belt. Oh, he's catching up. Interviewing Broadway veterans. Wow. But, but, you know, the most amazing people, from Joel Gray to Cheetah Rivera to the late Ed Asner, just to Jane Alexander, um, and he's often running – actually, we just saw him last night doing hosting a cabaret performance. I didn't even think it was legal for <laughs> 15-year-olds to host cabaret performances with a whole bunch of stars celebrating the music of Candor and Ebb. So I'm tired. I was out late. And then I have a wow. three-year-old grandson, uh, Meg's son. And um, so we're very blessed, and everything is great. Thank well, that you. is one. Hope your that family is, as well too. They are. Thank you. They are. They are doing great. I've been bragging to our listeners about uh, Caroline's graduating from medical school next uh, next oh. month. Uh, she, she, That's fabulous. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, she 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 did a bunch of other stuff and then decided she was an EMT for quite a while and then decided instead of driving the ambulance, she wanted to fix the people in the ambulance and. Went back to school and that is now, fantastic. Now she's, well, yeah, if you do exciting. another six hundred shows, you will need to have a doctor. Oh, sure. by that, that th- th- this is how we're planning for the golden years: is is to have uh, medical care in house and yes. Yeah. All I have are writers. You know, it's not going to be too helpful when you when you need well, long term care, but it's okay. Uh, you, you have a lawyer, a lawyer, a lawyer in the house. That's right. That that'll help. Yes, uh, she is. she's teaching law in law school now. She's not a practicing lawyer. Wow. Well, I, I can vouch for the wisdom of that uh, Yeah, uh, to, right. to, to move on. Can. So you mentioned uh, Hunter College. You are at the, uh, is it the, the Roosevelt House? What is the title of the institution? It's called the Roosevelt House Public Policy Institute. But, you know, since you were talking about, you know, the visiting historic sites a minute ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Roosevelt House is not only an undergraduate school of public policy and human rights. But what gives me a special thrill every day is that it is the home of Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt and his mother who built the house. But it was the transition headquarters um, for the, you know, the run up to the new deal. FDR's library was the transition headquarters, a very modest looking, modest sized, Library. It's also the place where he was left to crawl on the floor for hours on end to to build up his chest and arms after he came down with polio. It's where he um, recovered from polio in 1921 and 22. It's where he launched his political comeback. It's where he managed his campaigns for governor of New York and for president in 1932. And again, you know, we we just passed the 90th anniversary of the day 
that Frances Perkins mm-hmm. came for her job interview in my mm. building and um, said that she would only become the first woman to serve in a cabinet if Roosevelt agreed to let her pursue minimum wage, maximum hours, and old age pensions, as she called it. So our house is the house where Social Security was born. Anyway, wow. that's my, ad, my advert for Roosevelt House. It's fascinating. Is it, a, is it open to the public? Can, can people go and see it any is. of these things? It is. The, the downstairs rooms, including the family dining room and, and the, the mother's part of the house, are open all the time, and, and we rotate exhibitions in and out. We're doing one now on the history of the uh, renovations that saved the house and perpetuated its life as a, an educational institution. FDR sold it, really at Eleanor's instigation, sold it to Hunter College in 1943. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, After his mother died there, he didn't want to go back ever, ever, ever. They were quite mm-hmm. close. And so it's the biggest real estate bargain in New York history is $50,000. I don't even know why he charged, really, but he did. And then he gave $10,000 back to buy books because he emptied his family library. So we've had it ever since. And another historical footnote, I know we we should talk about the Civil War, but um, 80 years ago when the house was presented to Hunter College, FDR was supposed to be on hand to hand over the deed. And he sent Eleanor at the last minute, and Eleanor could not explain why or would not explain hmm. why. And the fact is, FDR was on a battleship heading oh. to the Casablanca summit, and uh, in, in secret, of course, because of the right. marine warfare. So, And then very nearly got blown out of the water by friendly fire. Uh, American submarines were showing off, you know, at... Mm-hmm. Not on their own, but under instruction, showing off their submarine cap- uh, torpedo capability. And uh, some sailors set off a live torpedo. Um, <laughs> that's when you know that, who your friends are. FDR said, take me to the starboard side. I want to see the torpedo as the ship wow. maneuvered. It wasn't struck, but the the poor guy was court-martialed. It's, yeah, that, that would not... Story. That would not look good on the resume, Torpedo, the commander-in-chief. No. Well, I'm going to ask you about Roosevelt and Lincoln, not... but but we're going to take a short break first. We're at our first break. Okay. We'll come back and talk more in just a minute with our guest tonight, Harold Holzer. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with my guest, Harold Holzer, a long-time friend of the show and author of literally dozens of books on Lincoln and the Civil War, which we'll talk about momentarily. But in our first segment, we were talking about Franklin Roosevelt, because, Merrill, you're working at the Roosevelt House at Hunter College in New York. And since you spent your career really in, in the metaphorical presence of Abraham Lincoln, would Lincoln and Roosevelt have gotten along? Wow, that is a Fascinating question. Well, he got along, Lincoln did, with a fast-talking, sophisticated, self-assured New Yorker named Mm -hmm. William Seward. So, you know, because Seward subsumed himself to Lincoln at a certain point after their dust-up of May 1861. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, the problem with Lincoln and and Roosevelt is that both of them would have thought they were in charge, right? I mean, it would have been somebody would win the wrestling match or the the uh, the war of words or the war of making cocktails, which FDR loved to do, and Lincoln mm-hmm. didn't. And someone would have to be the dominant figure. I don't think they could. I don't think they could coexist too easily. Uh, but I like to think of, of of Lincoln's relationship with Seward. Um, and, and assume that if one got the dominant role, the other would be friendly. That, that's a, that makes perfect sense. I was thinking of, of Charles Sumner and how he, you know, was always so accustomed to being the smartest guy in the room. And whenever he was in the room with Lincoln, Lincoln just didn't defer to him. Just didn't have to say anything. But Lincoln knew and everybody knew he was the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. And that and, and, and Sumner, Stewart, Sumner, and Sumner hated of that. Course, Sumner of course was said that he never met anyone with the with with an air of intellectual superiority comparable to Lincoln. And Lincoln didn't yeah. even do anything. He just He just was, right. He just was. Well Is, you know Roosevelt surrounded himself like Lincoln mm-hmm. and, you know, if <laughs> if not with a team of rivals, then at least with a team of very very smart people, hence the name the Brain Trust. Right. And you know they as people wrote later. Oh, you know Roosevelt wasn't the smartest in the world, uh, uh, but he was smart. He kept them all like puppets on a string. 
played them <laughs> off against each other, sucked the energy out of them, and then they went on their way. And he was a brilliant manager and kind of a cynical one in, in a way, but, you know, maintained control and deep, deep loyalty from the people who were working for him, which wasn't easy through two crises like the Depression and the war. It is that story they tell where where he's in the office and, and Eleanor's sitting in the corner and listening and he, he says one thing to Averill Harriman and then Harriman leads, he says another thing to him. Do you know this story, this joke? Yes, but you uh, tell the end of it. Oh, oh no, no, you, it's, you're the Roosevelt bad. It, not not well enough to remember the detail. Not, the, not well, good enough to well, know. Well, the way the way I hear, heard it was that uh, you know Harriman comes in and pitches some some policy, and and Roosevelt says, you know, Everill, you're absolutely right, and he leaves. And then a minute later, Harry Hopkins comes in and pitches the opposite policy, and Roosevelt listens and goes, Harry, you're absolutely right, and he leaves. And Eleanor, who overheard the whole thing, goes, you know, well, Franklin, you just told Averill Harriman that he was absolutely right. And then you told Harry Hopkins the exact opposite. He was absolutely right. And Roosevelt says, Eleanor, you're absolutely right. <laughs> that You did it very well. I even like your, <laughs> your subtle attempt at doing an Eleanor imitation. Very, very, very modest. Very, very understated. You know what's but, interesting? But, Here are two, yeah. two presidents who mm-hmm. had... Fraught relations relationships with their wives. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lincoln was watching uh, a, a woman deteriorate, really, and um, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes desperately so. And Roosevelt was enduring a lot of demands from a very political spouse um, whom he had betrayed years before. Mm-hmm. And so with whom he had a working relationship, not necessarily a, um, a romantic or intimate one. And um, Eleanor would not let him get away with anything, especially on matters of civil rights, um, on her own freedom and you know ability to move around. And at the same time, she played this amazing role as his eyes and ears throughout the country and then even in the South Pacific during World War II. So... Both managed somehow. I mean, I think they say that Roosevelt's last phone call was from Eleanor and that the doctor on the scene in Warm Springs, Georgia, measured a jolt of blood pressure spike um, because she did not, you know, she was did not call him to say, I hope your health is good. And, <laughs> you know, I just wanted you to be calm. And she called him to complain about something. And she used to leave notes for him, lists. Now, why do we accept that and we don't accept that Mary had her political demands and her patronage ideas and her advice? I know it was a different era, but it's kind of an interesting thing that, thank goodness we made changes in the advice we accept from women, but Mary was born too soon, alas. I think there's a lot to that, that Mary really does not get the the same regard and, and has never... Uh, it has never gotten that, and then uh, no, never, not I, in her time, not since she's you know considered the in in actual surveys comes out almost as the worst first lady. Fortunately, we've had a few recent ones who are so um, insensitive to public needs that they 
managed to push her down on the list or up on the list. As the case may be. <laughs> we haven't even talked about Lincoln. Can I say one FDR thing that can bridge the two? Perfect, better yes. Than we have. So I have just come back from Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought 20 Hunter undergraduates um, and my boss, the outgoing president of Hunter. So it was kind of a tense experience for me. It all turned out great. <laughs> two, two and a half days of just wonderful activities. Um, battlefield tours from Peter Carmichael, who I know you know. And, he is great, um, yeah. He was, boy, he was a great battlefield guy. Just terrific. I saw things that I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. And uh, he teased me about it a lot um, <laughs> online and in front of the kids. But and we went to the Spangler Farm to see a Civil War hospital and we went to the pre-opening of the new Beyond the Battle Gettysburg Museum, which is just terrific. I, I, it was I'm just wonderful. See that one, soon. Of the, one of the things Peter took me to see, and I admitted I'd never seen it, but if I always go to the other side of the battlefield, was mm-hmm. is the Peace Memorial. And the Peace Memorial oh. was dedicated 75 years ago by Franklin D. Roosevelt, who gave yeah. his own Gettysburg address. And get this met two veterans of the Battle of Gettysburg and one veteran of the U.S. Colored Troops 75 years after the battle. That, that was, I assume they were drummer boys or teenage recruits or something. But They would, they would have to be. And there were something like, like 100,000 people, 150,000 people for that event, I believe. It was that, just... was the, that was the 50th well, in the, 1913. The, Right, but they, but I'm I'm recollecting that there was also a big crowd for the uh, yeah, for the peace memorial. They were, there was oh no, no, crowd. they're not veterans yeah. at all. Right, right, but a huge crowd of, of, of spectators. Yeah, they're very yeah, few. Veterans, that wouldn't have bothered. Right. That wouldn't have bothered FDR. That would have turned him on. Right, and there, you know, and then I took the kids to the other side of town to visit the newly accepted site where the exact spot which is apparently a rhododendron bush where Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address. Isn't that something, that, that research that uncovered where where it is by triangulating all those, it those is brilliant. images? It, it for, is. For the, listeners who, yeah, for the listeners who don't mm-hmm. know, the work was done by a, a former Disney animator mm-hmm. um, and a college professor now. But what he had the ingenuity to do is say there were three photographers present in three different locations on the cemetery grounds aiming their cameras badly, as we know, because they didn't get a good Mm -hmm. shot, at the speaker's platform on November 19th, 1863. What if we ran a purple laser line like Star Wars from each three locations and see where they intersect? Nobody (laughs) ever thought of that before. And that's Ingenious. basically how he did it. He got a front page story in mm-hmm. the New York Times. No, it's a wonderful story, and and uh, it, it's one of those things about going to a place like Gettysburg. No matter how many times you go, there are new things to see. We learn new things about Absolutely. the past. It's always worth going back. Or just back. to see it through, see it through the eyes of twenty young people <laughs> who are all American history majors, by the way, mm-hmm. and. Oh, I would say 16 of them were born overseas. Really? And of the 16, 
um, the, they had taken no trip anywhere, aside from the New York subway, anywhere except for the trip on which their parents brought them to come to America. It wow. practically makes you cry. It makes me cry when I think about it. And that wow. they end up interested in the American story because it's now their adhesive. It's their, their unify, it's their glue. And mm-hmm. making a clumsy point here. But it's what America's always been. Uh, and it's kind of thrilling to watch. No, that is a great, great thing to be able to do, to, to see people learning things for the first time. I was, yeah. We were talking last week on the show about ECU's identity at East Carolina and how many first-generation college students we get from rural North Carolina. And, and yeah, to open people's eyes to the whole world is just a great thing. Well, let me ask another question about Lincoln uh, vis-a-vis Roosevelt, which is, as, as you're now, when you're you're you know learning and teaching, talking about Franklin Roosevelt, as a historian, the sources are so different. Uh, you know, with Lincoln, everything he everything they did was written by hand, or mm-hmm. you know, a few things would be typeset. Uh, there's telegrams, there's letters. Uh, but you get to Roosevelt, and, and it's a whole, in you know, the 20th century, a whole different source world. Do, do you find yourself comfortable in that world? Yes. Um, when I did my uh, recent book, The Presidents versus the Press, mm-hmm. um, I had to deal not only with the familiar ground of Lincoln's, you know, brilliance at both censoring and uh, um, uh, befriending journalists, but then, you know, getting to Roosevelt, he becomes the perfect man for his own era and his own era's technology. The man with the golden voice who spoke conversationally, not bombastically, in a way that Lincoln never could have publicly. Right. Although every movie presents him as sort of chatting the Gettysburg Address or whispering <laughs> uh, the second inaugural. Maybe maybe Daniel Day-Lewis shouted it a little bit, but not the way Lincoln yeah. shouted it to be heard no. by 5,000 or 6,000 people. Um, and, uh, and you know, we uh, the wonderful thing about researching the Roosevelt section for that book is to go online um, at the FDR Presidential Library and listen, if you wish, to 28 fireside chats, the first of which was made from second floor of Roosevelt House, by the way, night after mm-hmm. the election. And listen to that voice, that patrician accent. You wouldn't have thought it would work in a country that was so much more rural and uh, not so diverse and maybe not so tolerant of the rich or the privileged in the Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't change his approach. And it's. But I also, speaking of the written word, Roosevelt um, held 998 press conferences in wow. his 12 years and six weeks as president, from the White House, Hyde Park, in the, on the oceans, in Warm Springs, wherever he was. And only the first was recorded for sound. Really? So for the rest of them, they're all transcribed by the White House press office. And, uh, and yet you can feel his personality, his mm-hmm. humor, his crabbiness. Uh, so there is a, you know, there is a considerable written resource. And of course, that's more reliable than the speeches because we don't know how much of his speeches or indeed how much of his fireside chats were, um, 
were done were prepared by him. Very few, I would suggest. Although he was an editor, we know that from his papers. So that brings up a point about technology that, and and I've commented on this one when teaching about these presidents. Lincoln is the first president to understand and embrace photography, and Roosevelt's the first president to understand and embrace radio. Uh, exactly. That that strikes me as a really strong parallel. It is now. I'm not, I, I always advance that idea, but now I'm going to argue against it just a tiny okay. bit. Because yeah. photography is just bursting out as a mass medium in 1861. Not so much in 1860, when photographs were still just models for engravers and photographer, uh, lithographers and, and painters. But in 61, when the carte de visite is introduced and albums are introduced, that's the moment. And, and you know, Roosevelt is lucky because he... Uh, becomes governor in the second term in 1930, just as network radio is forming. Because hmm. before 1930, there were just hundreds and hundreds of radio stations, but they weren't interconnected. So it took General Sarnoff and a few others to start an NBC or an ABC or a CBS radio network. And, I mean, otherwise we might not have heard of Jack Benny or Bob Hope or Frank. So by accident, in a way, they were there, for the, you know, it's kind of what they said about Jefferson Davis, the man and the hour met. Now, if there were less skilled people whom the fates gave us at those moments, it might not have worked. But somehow it, the intersection was ideal, and they were made for their technologies. And, of course, yes, and brilliant enough to use them. They, and, and they, they were at that. They had the voice, and they had the face, and, yeah. They, they, they understood Roosevelt that. Certainly used, by the way, um, one medium that I'd like to stress about FDR, which no one really deals with, um, maybe worth an article one day, not a book, but it's in my book about the presidents and the press, is the newsreels. Um, let, let's, you know, Harold, let, let's hold on that point. Let's take another oh, short sure. break. I want to come back and ask, ask more about just that. We're talking tonight with Harold Holzer, uh, author among his many, many books, The Presidents and the Press. Uh, we've been talking about Lincoln and Roosevelt, FDR. We'll talk more about them when we come back with Harold Holzer. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. 
Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Harold Holzer. We've been talking about Lincoln and FDR. Uh, Harold's an expert in both, and we were just finishing up the last segment talking about the new technologies lincoln and photography compared to roosevelt and radio and harold you mentioned newsreels were another medium that uh, that roosevelt adapted to yeah they the, you know the people went to the movies once a week in the 1930s and um roosevelt was in the newsreels all the time and it all began once again at roosevelt house the first fireside chat after Election Day, um, which one can watch and listen to online. First, he did it on radio, live, and then the newsreel camera moved in, and he did it again, the second take, for Fox Movie Tell News. So people who heard it on the radio would see it over the weekend um, in their local movie houses when they were watching. And I actually researched this. <laughs> the one movie yeah. I know about is Paul Muni. In I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, it opened hmm. just a couple of days after Election Day 1932. So, so it, it, well, I, the thing about new technology, uh, it, the thing about the newsreel, though, is that the public did not see Roosevelt fully in the sense that they were not aware of his polio. Is that well, which they my students aware, find unbelievable. They were aware that he had, yeah, they were aware he had polio. So, you know, my source okay. on this was my late mom, who mm-hmm. was a, you know, big, you know, Roosevelt was the president for 13 of her years when she was, you know, a teenager. Right. Into adulthood. Um, she said, we are, I, I once asked her, did you know that FDR had polio? She said, oh, yes. We all knew that because we collected for the March of Dimes, and he was the chairman of the right. March of Dimes. Okay. Well, Mom, did you, you think he was able to walk after that? And she said, yes. You know, he got cured. That was the mistake. That was the exactly. misinformation. Yeah. He, of course, never really walked. He wore right. 30 pounds of steel braces mm-hmm. uh, and then either used crutches or the arm of his son, Jimmy, mm-hmm. and would shuffle, sort of sway his hips from side to side, and do a really great impression of walking, but with under great pain and great fear that he would fall. In fact, yeah. he fell at the 1936 convention. People just sort of surrounded him. Imagine wow. if that had been a televised event. Well, that's um, the thing. That, and, that, and then by the... 
No, the, the, imagining well, today the, the amount of media we have today, it, it's impossible to imagine hiding something impossible. like that. Yeah. Again, he was the he was the right person at the right time. Um, the, I mean, the, Governor Abbott of Texas is an interesting case in point. He didn't suffer a disease; mm-hmm. he suffered an accident. But he's you know reduced in his ability to move about, um, and you know he's not in the top tier of Republican nominees, but I think he would like to be a president one day, and it's kind of interesting to watch. Yeah. Let me ask a a broad-range question about Civil War studies, because I remember when I started at the Lincoln Museum in the 90s, early 90s, I I remember, I think we may have met in Springfield at an event, um, but but your 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 first book, uh, the Lincoln Mailbag, uh, first Lincoln book, was out right around then. And the you've first been, book was the Lincoln Image. The Lincoln the Link, Image. Well, of course, you, you, well, that was with with Mark Neely and Gabor Bor. With Mark and Gabor, yeah. Right. Uh, the, well, my my thinking is though you've been in the Lincoln publishing, writing, researching world for a number of decades now. Where do you see things going? Do you, do you have have we has the, the Lincoln theme been exhausted? To quote uh, a famous, famous historian, quote. yes. Or, you know, or it's a, great, it's a great question. I'm worried about the academic side. I'm worried about American history and particularly, you know, military history and Civil War history in the schools. I mm-hmm. don't see that any of the greats from uh, from David Donald slash Bill Gnapp at Harvard to James McPherson at Princeton to Eric Foner at Columbia being replaced by people who specialize in what they have specialized in. So I I worry about where future readers are coming from. So that's one side mm-hmm. of the equation. And the, on the other side, you know, it's kind of this continuing efflorescence of scholarship that began, um, you know, commensurate with Jim McPherson's Great Battle Cry of Freedom book and also Ken Burns' Civil War. And mm-hmm. every time I think we are up over the top of the hill and on the way down, right. there's another rush. And, you know, <laughs> this year we've had John Avalon and John Meacham and John White. They all have to be mm-hmm. named John. That's the only difference. Apparently, no. that's um, the rule, yes. No, but seriously, a lot of wonderful books this year. And I know of five books, including mine, by people who've written a lot of Lincoln books that are coming out in the next you know, year. Mm-hmm. So there doesn't seem to be any, any slowdown in publishing, but I'm still worried. I'm still worried about the future of you know, all American history in this country. Well, I, I mean, there's certainly much to be worried about. I want to assure listeners, uh, Harold will be back with us when his next book does come out. Uh, we're not going to wait 600 more episodes uh, to have you back. Uh, February 13th, just, just saying in advance. That, that works. We'll celebrate Lincoln's birthday in, in 2024 right great. here uh, with you. That that will be fun. The uh, well, you know, look. I, I've been wondering about this level of interest in the Civil War because, on the one hand, you've got 
public attention through the the monument and flag controversies never yeah. higher than and and the, the the sophistication of discourse has never been better people are understanding monuments don't just grow up out of the ground they tell stories of who put them there and why they were put there and they have meanings and people are that's on the good side on the negative side i'm wondering if if there's a fatigue setting in because of that anecdotally i taught a civil war class this semester uh I hope some of them are listening tonight, uh, 10 undergraduates, and they're all really good. Uh, it, but it's the smallest class I've ever had to teach Civil War. It's usually twice that or mm. three times that. This time, very small numbers, but all really high-quality, interested people. So I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, are, are people just getting tired of it? That, do you think it's possible that... Um the the incessant focus on the imperfections of mm. Lincoln, for example, mm-hmm. are causing people to lose interest. Um, and you know, no one ever claimed he was perfect, but mm-hmm. well, I guess there there were people who claimed he was perfect, but um, particularly now his relationship to native peoples, he just seems out of step with. With the culture, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. my view of the culture I mean, is very, you know, slanted to the East Coast. That's where I am, and that's what I mm-hmm. mostly hear about. But you know, the desecration of Lincoln statues takes place in uh, in Minnesota, in Chicago, in in San Francisco, and in Madison, Wisconsin, for example, a college town. So, um, you know, Lincoln is not going to meet our 21st century expectations of political correctness and perfection and wokeness. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think that's also a factor in reducing interest, just the focus on the fact that 19th century people had their limitations just as the founders had, were creatures of their own time. And we, we seem to have lost our, our ability to, to, you know, accept that and then, study the period for what it offers, negative and positive. That's, that's interesting take. I'm, I, I see a lot of that. I, I would say I'm hopeful that we will move beyond it, that, that the increasing sophistication of, of the way we study history hopefully will move people to accepting, uh, to get, get be, it's like getting beyond you know, belief in Santa Claus. Uh, it doesn't mean you give up uh-huh. belief in hum, human yeah. kindness. Uh, you just realize, well, okay, it's not that's not how gifts are done, but gifts are still expressions of love, and we still go ahead with that. Um, I, my own concern I, is is more from the other direction. Uh, attempts to insist we not teach about anything bad, that we not recognize race, that role is in American real history. Problem. That is a that, real problem. And I, banning I that, books and uh, uh, any eliminating. Books dark thoughts from our history when there's plenty of darkness to go around and to be dealt with is a huge yeah. mistake, I think. No, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think uh, uh, the meme I put in front of my students every year said if, if reading history makes you happy and proud all the time, you're not really really reading history. Um, but it makes yeah. you angry all the time. Then, you know, take a chill pill. Well, exactly. It shouldn't do either. It, it, it's it's all of human exactly. life, and it should, right. you know, there's there's joy in it and there's terror in it. 
Uh, well, so tell us just a bit about your next project. We'll, we'll have you back, uh, but, but just to whet the appetite, uh, what are you working on? I'm looking at the cover right now. I have extracted the last surviving, untouched, I think, <laughs> a phrase from the Gettysburg Address um, for a title. But I think it's appropriate. It's just, you know, I was laboring over a title. I'm building up to this, Jerry. I was laboring over a title for weeks and weeks and weeks. And suddenly I sat up in bed. I don't know if you get these, like, thoughts when it's too late to write them down. But I actually turned on the light and wrote mm-hmm. it down because I figured I'm going to lose this in my head. So here For it is. sure. Okay. Brought forth on this continent, Abraham mm-hmm. Lincoln and American immigration. Oh, nice. Really nice. Yeah, thank uh, well, you. That, no, the, that, that the book, There's no book. It's just a cover. But I like the right. No, it is a book. <laughs> and it's coming out, you know, it's... Uh, by the way, every Lincoln author I've spoken to in the last few months, mm-hmm. and I saw a lot of people at the Lincoln Prize uh, in New York uh, and other places, are saying, you know, it's now taking 14 months to bring a book out. Once mm. submitted, it's just getting very slow. Something about the supply chain recovery has not recovered. But anyway, could, uh, Jerry, could, before... We, you have to do a break or something, or the hour we, is. We, we, we've only got two minutes. At the minutes. very beginning of this show, you yes. talked about the Abraham Lincoln Association, and here, here, yes. for joining, and I, I thought your review was hysterically funny, just thought <laughs> the, the construct of it. So, it's, um, And I haven't read the article on uh, Roy Basler yet. I can't wait to get into that. Right. Obviously, one of the first persons we all read on Lincoln. Of course. But... All that said, I would like to just put in a plug for the Lincoln Forum, yes, which I chair and meets every November 16th to 18th at Gettysburg. And uh, we have um, some pretty good speakers this year who've written new books. Ronald White, who's done a new book on Chamberlain, mm-hmm. uh, oh, it hasn't come out yet, Ed Acorn on the 1860 Convention, um, Steve Inskeep, speaking of NPR, who has a book coming out any minute on uh, on uh, on Lincoln. But mm-hmm. my big announcement, you're the first to know outside of really three people, oh. uh, is that on the final night of this year's Lincoln Forum, we will have the return of the one and only Doris Kearns Goodwin. Wow. Excellent. And we are really excited about that. That is exciting. Well, well listeners, if you coming with she's coming with Beth Lasky, who is her co-executive producer mm-hmm. in her new and amazing life as a film, a History Channel film producer. Uh, well, FDR is in fact coming out this month, and she's done Lincoln and TR. That's a whole it, world, the new world for her. And we also it, it, have um, my favorite musicians, Jay Unger and Molly Mason, who uh, played the wonderful Ashokan farewell theme song in Ken Burns' Civil War. Which is also the theme song to this show, and listeners are familiar with it. They'll hear it in just a few moments. Sadly, they're going to hear it right now. We've got 20 seconds left. I'm so, I wish we had another hour. Uh, listeners, join the link. Segue, Jay and Mollage. Join the Lincoln Forum. Uh, uh, look it up online. I've uh, been to it many times. It's a wonderful event. Uh, I judge the essay contest for it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but join the Lincoln Forum. You'll see Harold there. Harold, I wish we had another two hours. But we'll talk again. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. I hope so. Great hearing you and talking to you, Jerry. Thank you. 
And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.